Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm super excited to have as our guest today, Clint Dupin. Clint has been a friend of many years uh, to Kelly and I. We worked together in Detroit for, I think, eight or nine years. And Clint is now a church planter and a pastor in the East Bay Area, East Town Church in San Ramon, California. Clint, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. Oh, man. Thank you, Steve. It's uh, it's a joy to be a part of this. So, Clint, here at Winning at Home, we try to develop resources that encourage people in their marriages and their parenting. And I don't know if you remember, but like on occasion, they the powers that be would decide that you and Michael and Kelly and I would be good people to talk about marriage and parenting <laughs> at conferences. And there's sometimes where I look back at those, I'm like, why did anybody give me a microphone? I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> like if I if I could run into like 2012 yeah. conference speaker, Steve, I think I'd punch him in the face. <laughs> it's, it's 2023 uh, dad and husband. Husband Steve is just like, no, dude, you had that all, all wrong. Yeah. Well, you'll probably punch your 2033 Steve will probably punch that, you know, 2023 Steve as well. I still remember you and I, Kelly and Michael on a stage together. And there was like a couple thousand people that were listening. There was like these surreal, you know, in the movies, those surreal moments where everything just kind of time pauses and I'm looking out and I'm thinking, I'm like, if they knew like... Why are, why am I up here? Like Michael and Kelly? Yes. And probably Steve, not me, not me. You always had great stuff, but yeah. Clint, you've had like a front row seat, not only to the challenges of ministry, you grew up in a ministry family. Um, you had a chance to kind of plant the campus of, of Kensington, the church you and I were a part of together. You planted a church from scratch. You, you made it through COVID. You've weathered many, many, many storms. And I can only imagine that as you've walked that journey, you've had to make some interesting and sometimes challenging choices about where ministry and where family and where parenting and marriage fit into all that equation. I know it's a big question, but but talk to me about some of the things that you've been lessons that you've learned over the last, yeah. let's say, five or 10 years uh, as you've tried to figure all that out. Yeah, I, I would say, first of all, and I know we were joking around earlier, but in no way, shape or form do I have it figured out. Right. It's like the, the one thing that I have learned because I watched, you know, as my parents planted a church, we left from North Carolina and moved to Michigan. Uh, Kentwood Community Church, uh, planted Daybreak Church near where you live now. I remember watching, you know, my mom and dad try to navigate that on very little resources. I felt like I hardly ever saw my parents. They did, you know, I've learned not to say the phrase anymore. Well, they did the best with what they had, um, or did they? Um, but I think it's like, I, I think I gained a lot of knowledge without even knowing it in that season of my life um, because of I have four children. And then when we started Easttown, when we left Kensington, Detroit area and moved to the Bay Area, one of the things, one of the phrases that I think I was given by somebody, I, I don't remember who it was, it could have been you, is I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of church planting. Mm -hmm. And I've just watched so many people do it, not to say that 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 my kids have not been on the altar without me even knowing it. And it took key people around me saying, Hey, like, you remember that commitment that you had, it seems like you're going down that road and you're sacrificing family. And so that was something that, you know, has been really hard over these past five years um, to just kind of sense 
Like, where is God leading? How's my family doing? How's my marriage relationship doing? But everything is so intertwined, right? Steve is like, Michael and I both are, are we're co-pastors, co-leading this church. And so work, family, our relationship is all intertwined. So how do you kind of navigate and work through all of those things is probably one of the top discussions in our relationship right now. Well, and Clint, for, to, to go to the Bay Area, and again, at the risk of stereotyping, I mean, you're, you're doing a, a startup church in a startup culture. And I, yeah. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago via text that my family and I just, we had a blast watching the, the Hulu series, The Dropout. And then I went back and listened to the podcast about The Dropout. And it just tells a story about this amazing, bright, wide-eyed, immensely intelligent young woman who's going to change the world with her biotech company, but along the way uh, has to start cutting some corners in order to yeah. do that. There was significant fallout and people who haven't already seen the story can watch it at their own time. But when you and I were a part of an environment that cared about church planting, nobody would say it right out loud, but sometimes the the implication or the undertone was this is this is a win at all costs endeavor. And when you could spiritualize a startup, it, the stakes got even it, it got even a little bit more goofy, a little bit more confusing. Uh, we were both exposed to the the kind of people and the hero stories that that we heard about. You know, the Saddlebacks and the Willows of the world was just like, hey, you you work eighty hour weeks, you pound the pavement because people's lives are hanging in the balance, and eternity will change if you do it right, and people go to hell if you do it wrong. And that's a crazy amount of pressure uh, for people to have to carry. Yeah, it's a crazy amount of pressure and it's not sustainable. And I think if you look at that approach, you look at that generation that approached ministry like that, it's not healthy. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but a lot of families have been, you know, uh, left in the wake. Uh, marriages have been left in the wake, you know, trying to figure out in a healthy way is uh, there. The, the, the good part of it is Steve is like, there's people out there doing it. Michael and I were able to find a few people that were mentors to us in this process that helped us. But I, what is sad is like what you're talking about is still in the water out there when it comes to church planting at all cost. This sounds really harsh and really brazen, but in today's world, in today's culture, I believe as pastors and as church planters or, or whatever in ministry, you are a commodity. Hmm. And the quicker you can get to the place that you view yourself, this sounds terrible, that you are a commodity, you can actually embrace the things around you that matter more. And so God has called me to love my family, to love my wife, to turn towards her all the time. And I have to, I'm being faithful. I want to be as faithful as I can into in ministry the people that God bring to East town. But at the same time, it's like what you said earlier, we are in a startup culture. One in five startups start in the Bay area. Um, 80% of startups don't even make it to year five. So we live in a very transient culture. And so how do you love people in a way where you're like, most likely they're not going to be here in a year or two years. How do I give them everything that God wants me to give them and to love them as, as Christ wants me to love them without sacrificing the most important things in my life. Those are great questions to be asking Clint. And it was, it's interesting that you say, you talk about the, just the, the turnover and the churn yeah. and the transitory nature of living in a large metropolitan area that, that values 
progress and success and innovation. I just finished reading Tim Keller's book on preaching, and he talked about how, you know, a generation or two ago, a, a church and a preacher could take five years to teach through the entire arc of the gospel as it's exposed in scripture. And Keller says, like, in New York, I've got 24 months max to mm-hmm. walk people through the totality of the scripture journey. Does that resonate with you at all? It totally resonates. It's, it's, I mean, 24 months would be generous. Like to me, it's like out of those 24 months, I mean, Barna released the research that in, in urban areas now, like sit like New York, San Francisco, Seattle, LA, uh, people are coming less than one time a month. So, you know, it's like, and they're not necessarily watching it online when they're not there. So it's like, how do you do that? How do you navigate that? Be true to the gospel at the same time as the reality of people are in and out so quickly, they call Silicon Valley, the land of the lonely dreamers. And people come here for a dream and they end up being very lonely. The suicide rate is crazy in the Bay area. And in fact, in one little town in the Bay area, they stopped reporting it because of suicides. There are because people just come here with that dream and trying to work as hard as they can. And it's, you know, it's like sports. It really is. It's like, you're looking to be replaced as soon as you enter into the league, right? It's like, who's the next best. And so that pressure is so on people. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. It's fascinating that you say that because in an entrepreneurial world, person with the first product to market, isn't necessarily the person who could win the day. Like you could be the first person to invent it, but somebody comes with a little tiny tweak to make it a little bit better and more marketable. And then all of a sudden, like you're tanked. Yeah, I was reading, reading this morning about in a book about the Enneagram and they talk about like the number three is the achiever. They, they find their worth and success and appearances and achievements. They say it's the Enneagram is the most number three. The achiever is the most celebrated type in America. And it sounds like in Silicon Valley that it's that on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. What book is that? It's called The Road Back to You by oh, yeah. Ian Crone yeah, and Susan, yeah, yeah. Susan Stabile. Yeah, that's great. So, Clint, talk a little bit about what it was like, because everybody kind of processed and, and muddled through COVID in their own way. But talk about what it was like to be a pastor and a clergy family trying to navigate the madness of all of that. What What pressures were similar to what everybody else was doing and what was unique to your role and your call? I don't know, but something really funny, Steve, I was on a podcast the other day, by the other day, it could literally be the other day up to about three years. So there, there's some discretionary there. But anyways, I was on a podcast and it was the title of the podcast was how to successfully plant a church during COVID in the Bay Area. And I was really confused by that. I'm like, how are you guys determining success? Because I don't think I should be the host of this podcast. Let me start here and Steve, just cut me off or, or just tell me like one of the things that I, I think that has happened to us in this last five years, the win is that we're still here. Like, I really believe that. Like, I really believe, like I watched so many of my friends that I love to death had to close their doors and not at all that I I am saying like, oh, well, at least we made it and you didn't. Not at all. These people were amazing, amazing people. But I think that one of the things that we've had to really do and to really figure out is that we want to start a church. We, we, we set out to start a church that the community needs, not necessarily that the uh, plant a church or start a church that we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And that really helped us during COVID um, because we started with the whole premise of this initiative called Love Local, Start Where You Live. 
And so there's great churches in the Bay Area, amazing churches in the area. And in fact, there's enough churches in the Bay Area to reach all the people in the Bay Area. So if church is on a decline and less than 4% would consider themselves churched in the Bay Area of any religion, not, not just Christianity, whatever is happening is not necessarily working. So we got to the places like we are going to live as a family, invite people into what we're already doing. That start where you live phrase is we say, start where you live, where you work and where you play. That became like when COVID hit, it's like we were already naturally living this way. It wasn't always about Sunday morning. It wasn't about always dealing with the program of Sunday, the beast, that engine that you have to always run. So we went through COVID, but then we quickly realized post-COVID, we had lost probably 40 in a church plant. This is huge, 40, maybe 45 families that left, that either moved you know, out of the state, moved out of the Bay Area. Some left because of our stance on justice. Some left because of our stance on certain issues that we felt really passionate about. So we got to the place um, and there was a lot of hurt and pain during those seasons, Steve, like awful people that I never thought would walk away or turn their backs left. And I was beginning to deal with it in not so healthy ways. And Michael, my wife, she began to raise some concern and some flags to me, but yet I wasn't, I still wouldn't, wasn't willing to deal with it. And then she even brought it before our, our board, our management team, our external, which was a lot of fun. So I had to go through some pretty intensive therapy things. There were some escapes that I was running to, that I was avoiding some of the pain. Um, there was anger, there was bitterness. There were things that even in our own marriage that had to be dealt with that I had to really own and step into because I was ignoring it. I was just ignoring it. I was angry. God, why have you brought me out here to just rot and die, right? Like, woe is me type stuff. But it literally probably up until about three to four months ago, Steve, like I started feeling like myself again. Mm. Um, and it took, it took a lot of time and took a lot of walking through pain in the storms. Michael is a saint to still be with me and walk through some of those things. And if it were not, and I'm not just saying this, if it were not for Jesus, if it were not for the community that was around us, um, I don't know where we would be right now. I really don't. Clint, talk about how, like, as a pastor, and, and again, you and I have walked this in, in different paths. Like, you know, people, you talk about a commodity and pe we talk about the consumer model for church. Like people will stop buying like one brand of laundry detergent and the people who make the laundry detergent, they don't, they don't care, but people will stop attending church altogether or they'll move to a different church across the street or they'll pick one that's got better lobby coffee or a better children's program. And that it can, it can feel like a personal betrayal, even whether it should or shouldn't doesn't matter but it does talk about how, how you ended up navigating that over the long haul. Most church planners, I think the average age of a church planner is around 28 to 30 years old. When we first started out on this journey, I would sit across the table with church planners and I would look at Michael and I'm like, uh, I think we missed the boat. I think um, we feel like we're 80 years old, right? It's like, look at these kids. But then it quickly, I quickly realized is like, what the heck do they know? right? What storms have they been through? I began to really understand like what I had learned in the mega church 
Um, I'd been a part of a couple of mega churches, right, and understood the consumerism. And I'm not bashing on mega churches. I think good no. things happen everywhere, right? But what I really grew weary of is I met person after person of the church I was at before launching East Town. They weren't coming off the street. They weren't unchurched or de-churched people. Most of them were, uh, it was transfer growth. Yeah, yeah. So that began in my like that be that was a huge part of East Town. It's like we made it very clear right from the very beginning is that um if you are from another church, if if we're the new thing on the block, um you're welcome here. Um, if you're leaving because you're angry, I remember multiple conversations, Steve, with people. It's like, hey, it sounds like you got some issues to deal at your previous church. <laughs> you need to go deal with those. Or hey, you're talking about my really good friend who's a pastor. Um, and I know him really well. It's like, um, you're, you won't survive here. So we make it very clear. Like, I think one of the things I love that we did is like, we are starting where you live, right? It's not about where you attend. It's about where you live. And that has been something that we've, we've had such a core belief about it's a, it's anti-consumeristic. It just fights against all of it because we work hard on, this sounds really funny. We work hard on not being polished. Right. It's like if you're looking for polished worship and uh, preachers and sneakers, it ain't happening here. Right. It's like it just it just doesn't. That's not who we are. And so we are trying to create something. We're trying to we are trying to create an experience for people that they feel loved, like anxiety and fear and um, mental health issues are are on the rise. Like it's huge. So it's something we're always talking about. And if you're not connected, you need to get connected. And by the way, where you live this out matters more than where you attend. And so we're constantly talking about those things. And what does that look like, you know, in my neighborhood? What does that look like in my workplace? We really are trying to equip people. And Luke 15 is our foundation. It's like we try to equip the 99, cultivate a heart in the 99 for the one that is lost. And so... How does that look? How does it play out? I was talking, I don't mean to name drop, but I will name drop. I was talking to John Ortberg literally like two or three weeks ago. He was speaking at some little event here and I walked up to him and I said, man, here's what we're kind of going through. It's like, I feel this, like this pushback from Christians against certain things that we're doing. He goes, anytime you're in a progressive culture, there is a mentality among Christians to build a fortress around themselves, to hunker down. Mm-hmm. And you will sense them. They're louder, you know, than in, in Bible belt type areas because they feel like they have to protect what is theirs. So right. this idea of going out into a broken world where nine out of our 10 neighbors, right, are far from God right now. It's like there's this thing inside of us that we don't want to do that. We want to protect what is ours. And so this rhythm of moving into a broken world is for a lot of people who call themselves Christ followers becomes a major sacrifice in their life. And we don't necessarily want to live out the Great Commission. It's more of a great suggestion for a lot of us. Does that make sense? No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I love the fact that like the more I dive into the Gospels and the more I understand the person of Jesus, like I don't know that he's ever calling out pagan culture. The group that he's got the hardest truths for was the religious system that he was ostensibly already a part of. Like Jesus yes. had harsher things to do 
to say to rabbis than he did to to Romans. <laughs> um, and I think that sometimes we we flip the script and we're like, oh, well, you know, our big enemy is culture. And Jesus is like, well, what if your worst enemy is you? And what if what if what if you've got some work to do? And what if you've got some repenting to do? A lot of people are, are talking about what's happened at Asbury and, and you and I were attending Christian colleges when there was a, a wave of similar type of experiences happening in, in the spring of 1995. And I think that a lot of people are like, wow, wouldn't it be great if God just like made culture repent? And God can do that, but it seems like historically God has only ever done that by starting with having the church repent. And I think that COVID was a great chance for a lot of churches and church leaders to look internally to be able to say, okay, if I was just kind of riding the attendance wave and I can't do that anymore because literally we can't do programming or there's so much disagreement over how to do programming and whether or not you should be masked or whether or not you should get the jab and all these other things, like it feels like God accelerated an exposure of some of the fault lines in the church that I think over time will be a gift because it was like a sifting and a purifying, but in the short run, especially for people who are church leaders like yourself, it's got to be a little bit d- disorienting. How has that shaped out for you and your family? Like as you and Michael and, and your four kids have watched racial division and political division and people survive a pandemic, how how have you processed your own questions and doubts? Or am I wrong to assume that pastors oh. and their families also have questions and doubts? <laughs> no, we've been on a journey, man. Like um, we've been on a journey. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And Steve, this is stuff you were talking about 15 years ago. And I think uh, even myself is like, I agreed with it then, but I don't think I understood how this was going to play out in culture in 15 years. Right. It's like Greg Boyd was saying stuff in, in 2000 that we're now going, Hey, did you know this? I'm like, it's like a mom and dad telling their kids something. They come home and say, Hey, you got to hear what my teacher said. I'm like, Hey, moron. I've been telling you that for 10 years. I think the justice piece became a huge deal to me when I was surrounded by people of color Hmm. and my close, close friends became African-Americans, South Asian, Indian, uh, Chinese, Japanese. And when you start hearing people's stories, it becomes real. And I went from, I, I, we took this journey from sympathy to empathy, right? Hmm. It's like uh, Brene Brown. I'm not going to talk about empathy, just go listen to anything Brene Brown says about empathy. I think for us is we've been on a journey for the last two or three years. And I think this is the greatest thing we could have learned, or hopefully we learned during COVID and the pandemic is that we could repent as churches is that we could take a, we had time to look at what people are so angry about people not coming back to church. Well, that's not the people's fault. That's the church's fault because we got sidetracked and we thought that programs were the things that were going to disciple people and lead people to the heart of Christ. We we got a chance to investigate and knock at that door. I think some of us opened it and I think some of us just want it to close and get back to the way things are. But for right. me and my journey was justice. For me and my journey was empathy is sitting on the front porch with one of my best friends who is black. Is there anything that I have done in our relationship that ha- that you have found offensive. I wasn't asking about things in culture. I wasn't asking about things of other Christians. I wasn't trying to gaslight over here and point to other things. I was asking about me. Mm-hmm. And when he sat there and said, yeah, there's a few things. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I remember the day I remember where I was and that's where God began to change my heart and go, oh my word, like we have missed it. I have missed it. And so 
We've had to navigate through some of those things. We've had to, and I always try to do this, Steve, and you do this really well. I come from my own place. I'm, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of others. I, I try to say, this is, this is who I am and what I have learned and where, where I am navigating, what I am navigating right now. And you are welcome to join me in that. Or you can stay on the outside because I still, I mean, you, you have it too. We have a lot of Christians. We have a lot of friends that are Christians and leaders that want to be affirmed, not informed, right? It's like mm-hmm. affirm how I believe. And if you don't, I'm going to go find another church. Right. Don't give me right. new information because it's like um, who uh, blue like jazz, Donald Miller. He's like the brain actually is working hard to prevent change. It's just working on survival. It doesn't want to learn new things. It just wants to survive. And so when you start informing people like, man, this is where you we we need to investigate in our heart. There's some things like, no, 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 just affirm how I believe politically, affirm how all these things, and I don't want to investigate. That's Jesus, right? It's like, right. all right, we need to talk about this thing, right, in your life. And it was towards religious leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I got I, going, I, Steve. No, no, no. It's like, now you're now you're preaching, Clint. It's good stuff. I remember when I was taking some classes about cross-cultural mission, and somebody once had this great line. They said the gospel of Jesus is an affront. It's offensive to every culture that it arrives in. Uh, but because every culture is different, every zip code has their own idols and their own backstory and their own wounds and their own hurts. The gospel is going to offend people in Silicon Valley in in a different way than it will offend people in Holland and Zealand, Michigan. But it, but you better believe it's going to it will offend them both. Um, because, you know, Paul says like the, the crucified Christ is an offense both to the Jew and to the Greek. He's like the crucified Jesus is going to make everybody mad. Uh, but but he but C.S. Lewis says God wounds us only in order to heal us. And I think that when there are people are like, well, there's got to be a version of the gospel that just makes me feel warm and fuzzy all over. Bill's like, well, there is. But that's not the gospel of Christ. Like, that's not that's not the story of Jesus. I, I love that. And Steve, I, I just think about these. Christian communities, OK that pride themselves on areas in our nation. I'm not going to be very pointed about them. What gospel did they accept? Because the amount of racism and injustice, I mean, it's all through the scripture, right? It's like, I, I don't, I don't want your, your praise and worship music. I don't want all of these things. I don't want your attendance. I want justice. I want rivers of it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the conversations I have with some of my friends about, I'm like, what, what gospel are we teaching if women are still marginalized in, in the church? Like, what gospel are we teaching, like, when, when, when we still have these political views within the church? So I, I love that. Like, I, I just think we've created our own version of Jesus, and he just adapt to my lifestyle and adapt to what I'm doing. And it doesn't, I'll tell you, man, I do, the, the really cool thing here in the Bay Area is, like, people are looking for, for truth. And what I love, I've, I've spent time in Michigan. What I love about the West Coast is like people are real. Like they don't try to church it up. They'll tell you exactly where it is. It's like you get into a Bible Belt culture. It's like you're one degree separated from my grandma growing up in church, right? I, I know, I know enough to kind of say what you want me to say. Here, it's like right. I know where you're at. Right, right. And people just come out and say it, whether yeah. whether you agree with it or want to agree with yeah, it or not. Exactly. 
No, but that, well, Hey, Clint, I just, I think that's the fact that you're having those kinds of conversations is a testament to how you've allowed God to shape and form and mold and stretch you and Michael and your kids over the course of the journey. And church planters are, you know, I've, I've been one planted a church when, when I was 25 and was too, too dumb to know any better and made a lot of mistakes along the way, but church planters are among some of my favorite people because they're dreamers and they're risk takers. And they're saying like the gospel is, is worth um, my life and it's worth innovating and it's worth taking risks. We're going to bump our knees and stub our toes along the way, but we're going to move heaven and earth to see if we can build bridges to people who haven't yet heard the message of Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. No, I think that's great. Yeah, man, Steve, I appreciate you. And I think that your voice has always caused people to think differently. I, we need more voices like that here. The one thing I would say, if if church planters or pastors or leaders um, in any, it doesn't matter if they're in a church or, or whatever, it's like the thing that I'm learning right now in my life with my spouse is um, Gottman. Um, I forget the book, but it was released not too long ago about relationships. It's not a faith-based book, whatever, but it talks about turning towards. Mm -hmm. There's three responses. You can turn towards, you can turn away, or you can turn against. Yeah. And everything I'm working on right now, not even working on, but acknowledging in my life is turning towards my spouse. And in any situation, and um, it's it's really really helped me, helped us. She's already great at it; like she's so naturally gifted at it. But I just would encourage people, like, just keep turning towards. Yeah, no, Clint, it's so good to hear you say that because Gottman says that like anytime somebody makes a bid for attention, like it could be like, hey, check out this thing I saw on TikTok, or or I heard this thing on the news, or this yes. weird thing happened to me at work today. Like any, he calls any one of those is is a, bid. is a bid, right? And when we turn towards those, we increase the chance that people will turn towards us with with bids in the future. And I think that not only is it true in our families, but it's true in our relationships with lost people as well. Uh, there yeah. are there are hurting people who don't yet know Jesus who make who are making bids towards us as individuals and bids towards the Jesus following communities mm -hmm. in the United States in a really desperate uh, season of our existence as a nation. And I think that if people are hardwired to turn against, then they can't be surprised, mad or disappointed if people aren't curious about the things of faith anymore. Yes. And so I think that we have this, we have this really unique opportunity to be able to say, are we living the kinds of lives that are a inviting bids and B, are we living, cultivating the kind of love that turns towards those bids rather than saying like, Ooh, lost people are weird and they might pollute me. So I shall not engage them. Hey, one last story. I just got a tattoo of a, of a Buffalo. No joke. It's on my, here, I'll show it to you. Can you see it? That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably heard this, but I started hearing this story two years ago and it came up. I, I went to this uh, therapeutic intensive and it came up again the very last day. I was there for six and a half days. The story is they did a study of cows and, and buffalo on the Kansas range. And when the storms would roll in from the west, the cattle would sense the storm, turn away and walk away from the storm. Eventually the storm would catch up to them. And they would be in the storm so much longer, the annoyance and the pain of the storm. The buffalo is the only known animal that senses the storm and turns towards it and goes in it, understanding that if I can go walk through it, it's going to be over a lot quicker. I don't have to deal with the pain as much. Still deal with the pain, but not as much. I discovered that in my life that 
and a lot of areas I was turning away from. And eventually that storm would catch up and the fallout would be way worse. And I've made a commitment, you know, this past year is to turn towards in anything and to be honest. And it's something that I just think like, man, I, I want to make it the long haul, right? I want to make it the long haul with my spouse, with my kids, with the people around me that I love. Um, but it requires sacrifice sometimes and turning towards. Clint, I love that you say that. I just finished reading a book on leadership by Henry Kissinger, the former secretary of state. And he said, in world affairs, he goes, world leaders learn whether the easy way or the hard way that the price of engagement, like turning towards that storm and walking into it and the cost of disengagement running away from the storm. He's like, it's the same cost. He's just, you're going to pay the same price. He's like, so you might as well pay the price of over. doing it right and doing it now, then yeah. kick the can down the road and end up paying the same amount. Uh, yeah. He's like, but we like to think that if we cut corners, Good. it'll be easier later. He's like, it it never, it never is, whether that's in ministry or whether that's in marriage or whether that's in home life. So man, let's, let's figure out a way to go the way of the Buffalo together. Way of the Buffalo, baby. Awesome. Clint, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate yeah. your insights and I look forward to the day where we can catch up in person. Love it, man. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.